Welcome to Mason Jars, the official podcast of MasonJars.com. I'm Karen Rusbecki, the president of Mason Jars Company, makers of Recap and the MasonJars.com marketplace. We're headquartered in Erie, Pennsylvania. I'm here to talk with makers, educators, and industry experts dedicated to their trade. Let's hear their story. So, so Brad, how's it going? It's uh, been a crazy year, huh? Uh, that's an understatement. Yeah, I mean, for everybody, not just for me. But yeah, it's been just an absolutely insane year. Um, plus, year plus, but yeah. it's going well. I mean, you know, as, as you know, I'm doing the canning lids again under a different business. Um, yeah. And it's, I mean, I think you've made a comment that yesterday or a couple of days ago in your email, it's reminiscent of the 70s. Of course, I was only 10 years old then when it, <laughs> the last time it happened. But um, I would, you know, from my recollection, yeah, it was absolutely the same. Nobody can get lids and it's just craziness. Right, right. Yeah, it's, it's, it is insane. So, so you're the creator of Reusable Canning Lids. And um, how did you get started in that? So I'm going to clarify a little bit. Um, my father designed the uh, reusable canning lids under the Tatler brand, you know, in 1976. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it was during that time in the shortage. <clears throat> and, of course, nobody could get products. But, you know, the 70s was a whole lot different than today where you've got the Internet and all types of um, you know, social media and outlets availability to make things happen. So anyway, we yeah in the seventies. But uh, just to go back a second, um, I don't recall a lot of canning jar lid now knockoffs happening at the time in the seventies. Like you're saying, we didn't have the internet, but we it was a little bit different. They were they couldn't be found, and I I really don't remember the the market being flooded with the uh, with alternatives. There were some. I mean, I I do know in you know in some of my research and things and just general review over the years, uh, there were some. And you know, if you talk to people from from that time period, there were. And I'm, I'm trying to remember some of the names, but it really doesn't matter. There were a handful, but yeah. you know, I think it's it was also a whole lot. It's just it seems easier to start businesses, make things happen in today's world than it than it did, you know, in, the, in that time. But there were knockoffs. There were people that were, you know, out making things happen. Right. Uh, but, you know, none of them lasted very long. As soon as the metal lids came back into the marketplace, pretty much everything disappeared. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, so your dad created them uh, probably out of the need of the scarcity then. Um, yeah, yep, absolutely. Yeah. Um, that's exactly what it was. You know, the, the glass lids of this design have been around for generations. So it's really just an iteration of the glass lid design it's not much different in fact there's really no noticeable differences quite honestly other than the fact that you're using a food grade plastic as opposed to a glass Mm -hmm. yeah that's true because the rubber rubber gasket is essentially the same you you might have some some differences but it's essentially the same you know idea and process absolutely yeah yeah okay so that's that's pretty interesting um and then it at the time, it was sold under the Tatler brand and um, has been around for a long time. I believe it was out of production maybe for a little while, but but on and off production all of this time. And um, Well, so yes and no. I mean, the name has been around, but, but quite honestly, there was no production under that name from 
from the mid or from the late seventies until 2010. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, so, and that's when, when he and I started a uh, partnership under uh, SNS innovations. Mm -hmm. okay. And several years later, I sold my interest in the company. We just had a difference of opinion about business. And so I, um, I sold and did not do anything in the marketplace myself for five years. And then in early 2019, um, re or started uh, a new business under Harvest Guard Reusable Canyons. So, and you know, the, the Tyler brand still exists today. Um, it's, you know, the, the name has been around for many, many, many years. The, the product just, like I said, it was on quite a lengthy hiatus. Yeah. I so there are actually two separate brands that are still, the Tadler brand is still being produced? Yes, it is. Oh, okay, great. Um, are they, is it essentially the same design or did you redesign anything? So my understanding is that the, the Tadler brand has redesigned um, slightly and I am still utilizing the, the first design. So nothing has changed in that regard. It's the, it's the first design that was that was introduced in the 1970s. Oh, okay. It works, works great. No need to make changes. Um, so, you know, they're effectively, they're very close. I've not, I'm not seeing, you know, the, the redesign of the Tyler product, but mm -hmm. uh, I've seen drawings and I know it's not very far off of the uh, first design. So, and in, these are made in USA. Um, did you have the tooling done here in the U.S. as well? Yes, absolutely. Um, the, I, I have a, injection i mean a, a tool and die maker that lives here locally yeah. he made the molds for me and um and so all of that is being done here in the u.s in fact we are molding the parts here in colorado and i just in the last few months actually have uh, purchased and am manufacturing purchased an injection mold machine of my own uh. and so we're we have two mold machines running two molds and making parts Oh, that's that's great. We keep we keep the machines running uh, pretty consistently. We're busy. Um, you know, quite a handful of employees for sure that are making it all happen. I mean, all the packaging takes place here locally uh, in Grand Junction, Colorado, mm -hmm. and all the shipping and distribution from here. So, yeah, that, that's great. I mean, um, that's really cool that you were able then to get your own uh, molding machine and then really just manage and control the entire process um that that's fabulous so you have your own warehouse and everything what um yeah. uh what shipping system do you use just curious there's an online service called xps shipper and it's mm -hmm. just an aggregator of the different uh, mm -hmm. services like fedex or, or postal service or ups you know so you plug in your account and you get a number of different options available um it just for the size and the weight of the packages that we have, Postal Service is predominantly what we ship um, mm -hmm. through. Right. Um, will be another one, and we get into the heavier packages just because the, you know, we found that that's that seems to be the best of the of the larger carrier service. Uh, but it, yeah. you know, we have multiple different options. We can use DHL for International or FedEx or UPS. Uh, so. Yeah, I would assume you have a lot of interest in Canada. Um, is it? I find that um, with a recap, I make recap mason jars, about 26% of our sales are Canada. Um, yeah. But I, I know the shipping to Canada has really changed in the past, you know, six years. It's really become pretty expensive to ship there. 
Yes, and that's kind of where that loggerhead that I'm facing right now because there is interest in Canada. It's just it's it's so cost prohibitive prohibitive to ship there, and you know there's a lot of the customer base that doesn't care, and there's a lot of them that do. They don't like to see you know duties and fees you know, get get hit with those after they've already paid you know for an exorbitant shipping cost. But mm-hmm. you know one way or another. And people get kind of mad. Well, you know, you should cover that. Well, that's a problem in business. You know, small business really doesn't have that ability to cover all of those costs. It's consumer. The reality is the consumer pays for it in the end, whether it's embedded in the product cost or, or they pay for it after the fact, you know, it's just, and it's so, like I said, it's just become kind of cost prohibitive to, to ship into Canada. Um, we found, mm-hmm. found the same thing with Australia and, Right. Great Britain, especially in some of those outlying areas, you know, you can have an order going into going to Australia that's a hundred dollar order that's four hundred dollars in shipping just because it's considered, you know, a remote area. And there's no way to identify that easily up front. Right. Yeah, we ran into the same problem. We had a ton of sales in Australia and then um, sh- the shipping charges changed and um, it just totally then dropped off. We, we then work through distributors so in in other ways and um i have there is a distributor in canada that we use that we like that we can share with you if, if you're interested or i don't know if you have your own I, I don't um i haven't gone down that path just yet quite honestly because the demand in the u.s has just been huge yeah. you know it, it really has been huge and and you know last year um with one injection mold machine and two molds you know it was just and a small business that's doing it for us, you know, it was just, it was really hard for them to keep up with the demand. And, you know, this, this, we have more, more sales now than the, than I did, you know, the first time around with my previous company. It's, and, and I think that's just, you know, it's a, a couple of things. One's a testament to our ability to, you know, get out there and, and communicate with people and provide good customer service. But the other is just the demand is, is exceedingly high. And it's not, mm-hmm. it's not going down. Yeah. So, so, you know, on that note, the, there's some differences, right? Between the, the metal canning uh, lids and, and the reusable, um, the, the metal ones, the instructions are to tighten it fingertip tight. And when you're done processing, you, you don't tighten it anymore. And your, their process for the reusable is a little bit different. Can you talk through that a little bit? Yeah, um, you know, I think it's it's pretty easy to understand when you spend some time, you know, looking at it and, and working with it. The the metal lid, the, that plastisol that is on the bottom, the reason that they that's what helps to seal that jar. I mean, vacuum is what does it, but mm-hmm. there is still that that plastisol compound, and you don't want to over tighten that because you can crush that plastisol. And if you do, if you subsequently tighten after you take it out of the canning uh, process you'll squish that plastisol out or you potentially could to the point that now you just have a glass and a metal contact mm-hmm. and you know, you can lose your seal. So with the rubber gasket, um, it's, it's really important that you don't over tighten it. And that's why, you know, if you look at some of my videos or just the conversations I have with people, I tell them to try it with water first because you're not spending time, you know, processing all this food that you've harvested out of your garden and worked so hard all summer for, and then you find out that you didn't, you know, you didn't get the process quite right. So you have to you have to do it gently. 
um, you know, the tightening process before you put it into the canner so that as that jar is heating up and the, you know, the food is cooking inside, that it's, um, you're allowing pressure to release. And that's, that's why it, I tell people, if you use water and you purposely over tighten, you will see what happens when that pressure is trapped in there. That lid will dome up and it's just an indication of that tra pressure trapped inside the jar. Um, anytime there's a dome lid, that's exactly what it is. And we'll tell people don't, don't touch that jar after it comes out of the canner for a little while so that, that pressure will release. But, um, and the, the second step that is as critical, if not more, is that you have to tighten that metal band down after you pulled it out of the canner. Um, you know, our instructions say, wait five to 10 minutes but quite honestly there's there's no need to do that as long as there's no pressure trapped in that jar take the metal take the jar out you know i i take them out of the canner i set them down i put a towel over them so i don't burn myself i give it a quick twist and that is enough to compress that gasket now to where it's not fighting against the uh the vacuum as that jar is cooling mm, okay so that's really what's holding that that lid in place is just a, a strong vacuum seal Right. But if you, you know, if you leave that metal band alone and don't tighten it down, you've got a rubber band or a rubber gasket there that wants to stay in its in its natural state. And so it's going to fight against that that uh, vacuum that's being created. So, again, a quick twist compresses it just enough. It doesn't have to be a gorilla grip. It's just a quick twist, mm -hmm. compress that gasket. And, and then as the jar cools, it uh, creates a nice strong vacuum and you've got a good seal. Well, that's great. Then, then how can you tell... That you that you have a good seal, right? So in the metal metal lids, you uh, you press down the center, and if it's if it's already pressed down, if you can't press it down, then it means you have a good seal. On yours, what's your test? Well, in both cases, it's recommended whether it's a metal lid or or the plastic reusable <laughs> lids to take the metal band off after you after you process. You know, you okay. don't you don't have to. But with the with the plastic um, reusable lids, you do have to because that is how you indicate or you identify that seal. And it's simply just a matter of just gently lifting up on the on the plastic lid, um, and that's all it is. You're mm -hmm. still touching the lid, whether it's a metal lid or a plastic lid, the metal one. You push down, like you said, and if that vacuum is good and strong, then there's it's not going to pop because it's already been sucked down. And the same thing is true with the plastic lid. You just put your fingers on the edge of the lid and pick up on it, and you. You should be able to pick a jar right up off the table, regardless of the size of a pint or a cork or whatever. You can pick it up and kind of shake it around a little bit, and that a strong seal will hold that lid in place. If mm -hmm. they don't seal, the lid just comes off immediately. It'll fall right off. And I have had the conversations with people who say, well, but two days later, the lid came unsealed. And, and I can generally always um, trace that back to not having tightened that metal band after you take it out of the can because it it will it'll it'll pull it down but over a couple of days it'll push back and so it's it's just a matter of touching the lid you know putting your hand on it it's like with the metal ones pick up on it and if it didn't seal it comes off in your hand yeah i find a lot of people keep the uh the metal rings on uh their canned products it's very very common and yeah, um there's a quite a debate there i know yeah, there's a there's a debate. Um, I heard something great from the uh, Cooperative Extension, and, and they explained it really well and just said that if something's wrong with the uh, contents and it's it's not safe, it will bubble up and it'll pop off the lid. Whereas if you have the ring on it, it kind of 
hides the fact that there's a problem. So taking the ring off will, you know, help help present a problem if it exists. And yeah, I, I would wholeheartedly agree with that. Um, you know, I mean, and I get it. You get metal bands when you buy new jars, but not everybody buys new jars. So they reuse those bands. You know, you can have 20 bands and can up a hundred jars and, and not have to have additional. That, that's not the reason for not leaving the metal bands on your jars. But like you said, that's exactly, you know, one of the reasons is if something happens, if some air or some bacteria was present in the jar and it, it ferments or, you know, whatever, um, it, it will break that seal. And you want to know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Do you work with um, the Colorado extension or any others to uh, test out your product? Currently, no. You know, in a past life, spent a lot of time doing that, quite honestly. Um, spent quite a lot of time in conversations with uh, Natural Center for Home Food Preservation out of the University of Georgia. Mm. And they, they actually did um, a study on plastic, glass, and metal lids. And it was a, gosh, I don't know, I don't know how long it, it lasted, that particular study, but I know the result was a 124-page thesis by a grad student <clears throat> who went through all of the different, um, the different, I say all, she went through those three different product types, mm-hmm. um, not, you know, not all the brand types, you know, and I, I mean, I have conversations with people rather routinely that ask this quite well, have your lids been tested? Yes, this lid has been tested under the Harvest Guard name. No, the exact same design. Yes. And, you know, my, I, I kind of cringe a little bit because I can guarantee that every single canning lid on the market has not been tested by by National Center for Home Food Preservation, the University of Georgia, or the USDA, or it's just, it, it's not going to happen. You've got, you've got products. In fact, it took several years to get uh, the National Center for Home Food Preservation to even do that test because they don't have the funding, you know, they don't have the resources. So the idea that every product that's out there on the marketplace for the home food canning industry is tested by the government or an entity of that nature is, is not correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if and one of the frustrating things is, um, you know, the extensions won't recommend specific products unless it's been tested. And I know they'll, I know they will recommend ball probably because of years ago or or maybe because of support. I don't know, um, it, but they kind of do leave the people hanging. Like, well, this hasn't been tested, so you know, you may or may not have good results. And I, and that's a, you know, that's a little bit. That's tough for people because, like you said, you know, canning, nobody wants to put their family at risk. And canning is a lot of time and effort. So the labor involved. So you just want to, you want to be very cautious. So, so what do you do for, because people are then going to, let's say somebody's not doing it correctly. They're going to have a bad result. And then, you know, the world we're in today with social media and whatever, you could have you could have a, a couple of people not have good results and, and, and then, you know, ha- have maybe some dis- discouraged folks from, from using it. What, what would you have to say to that? Because it sounds like you have a real, you have a great process. Um, having a reusable lid is, um, you know, it's proven again, it's taken 40 years, but <laughs> it's been proven again to, to be important. So, so how do you counteract that? Well, Counteract is the wrong word. I mean, but honestly, I, I try to stay ahead of it. Um, and 
was one of the things that I really wanted to try and achieve. And when I started the business again, um, because like you said, all it takes is a couple of people with zeal and they'll bash on your product pretty hard. And, and you see it. I mean, you still, I pay attention to a lot of um, Facebook canning groups just to, you know, it's a, it's a gauge of the market and, and people's understanding, et cetera. But um, one of the nice things is the first time around 2010, um, we really, really worked hard to communicate to people the, the right way to use these um, because it's not the same as a metal lid. And if you use them the same as a metal lid, you're going to have problems. So, so, you know, my thought with social media and our drive and our attempt has always been to communicate to people the proper way to do this. And quite honestly, the users in the community, um, they've kind of taken that on themselves and, you know, like, like you, I mean, you're, you're asking questions and you're, you're trying to convey to people what is, what is good and bad out there in the marketplace. And, and so a lot of the users and, and social media people have done the same thing. And that helps get that message across because if you're always playing defense, you're never going to win. It, it, you're, it's always going to be a battle. So the, the best thing is just to go on offense, to be, to, to communicate in advance and um, make sure that people understand. And, that, and you know, that's I, I send them to our videos, to our, on our website. You know, we try to post stuff on our Facebook page just to be proactive. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and, you know, I want to kind of go back and address your comments about the, um, <clears throat> the cooperative extensions. I mean, it's, you have a lot of the same mindset there. You know, these people are passionate. Their their expertise is canning, um, and and there is a little bit of I don't want to say misinformation because that makes it sound bad. But but again, it's you know goes back to the previous part of this conversation. The testing, you know, they will say, and I've had people say, well, these haven't been tested. Well, mm-hmm. they have been tested. They're not. The the USDA and the National Center for Home Food Preservation are not going to endorse product because that would be exactly that it would be an endorsement mm-hmm. so if, if they do it for one they've got to do it for everybody now they they have a very long history of support and and you know cooperation and work with ball um but you know ball and kerr and golden harvest and all are under the same corporate umbrella so they're you know people kind of by by association think that they're all just the same and they've all been tested so Mm-hmm. Anyway, I, my my goal has always been to just be proactive, get the information out in front of people, and communicate with them, and help them through if they have problems. And and the the canning community has has done a very good job of helping us with that message. Right, right. Um, is the it seems to me then your the lid itself is probably would last a lifetime. Um, it's the gaskets that that have to be changed. Do you? Uh, Tell me about the design of the lid itself. Do you have expectations it could last a lifetime, or, or does does that eventually wear out? I have I have lids that were manufactured in 1976. Still, <laughs> still function today. I yeah. mean, there's the the, <clears throat> the type of plastic that's used. I mean, it's a food grade material that's been used since the 1940s, um, heavily in the automotive industry, um, um, medical industry. Because of its because of its strength, its longevity, it, its um, food grade and medical quality, it's just there's really nothing you can do with that other than physical damage. I mean, is in is in force to, to break them. Mm-hmm. The temperature ranges that you're seeing in the canning, um, if you you can't you, 
can't adversely affect the plastic. So, it, you know, and people will say, oh, it's plastic, it's going to degrade. Well, if, yeah, if you leave a thin, cheap piece of different type of plastic out in the sun, it's going to get brittle. It's going to get, it's going to damage it. It's a, there's different plastics, just like there's different woods and metals, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, yes, do I think they'll last a lifetime? Absolutely. I tell people, your kids will probably be throwing these things away when, when you're gone. Yeah. Because because they will last that long. Yeah, I have some that are very, very old from the Tatler brand, and um, they're extremely robust. I, I would expect it'll, it'll last a long time. But it's the gaskets then that have to be replaced. And um, how do you know when to replace a gasket before you use it for canning, right, before a failure? How do, what mechanism do you use to, to do that? about them stretching more than anything i mean the it's like a rubber band you know a rubber band when it loses its elasticity it's it's not the same shape it's bigger it's and the same thing is true with this uh with the rubber gaskets used in this product if when they start to fail they will just lose that elasticity and they won't seat on the underside of the lid there's a there's a groove on the underside of the lid on our lids um where that rubber gasket sits and mm -hmm. and when they get to the point that it's time to replace them they will they won't seat there anymore and it's, it's really just like that i mean that's that's how it manifests itself when when rubber bands break down they they just break down and so it, it's you know again it's one of those things you're not going to know it for a long time and then that rubber gasket's just going to be too big it's not going to fit anymore and that's that's when it's time mm -hmm. um, people i mean i've got rubber gaskets I don't count the uses. I mean, I have done all that. I've done all that study myself, but when we get done, I clean them, I put them in a, in a drawer in, in my kitchen. And when it comes time for canning, I pull them all out. I check to make sure that they're the right size and away we go. So, so the right size, meaning you put it in the, on the lid and just make sure size wise you eye it up and it, it yeah. doesn't appear to have stretched. Yeah. Cause when it mm -hmm. stretches, it'll stretch noticeably. Mm -hmm. um, it's, and it's just, it, and again, some of it just depends on how you're using them. Um, if you're water bath canning, you know, grandma's pickle recipe and those things are, the jar is opened three months after it's sealed, that gasket is going to last a tremendous number of uses. If you're putting it in a pressure canning environment where there's obviously more temperature and therefore more vacuum that sucks down and squeezes on that gasket and you leave it in the, in the cupboard for three years, that gasket is going to react differently and it's going to bounce back differently than the one that was only was only sealed for a few months. So, okay, you know. so yeah, so you can give a rule of thumb, <clears throat> but not really because it's going to depend on how how it's been used. Yes, yeah, and it's you know it's how it's been used, how it's been stored. I mean, most people think you know with canning. I mean, I understand canning is it's it's not like, I don't want to say it's a cult, but but yeah. it's it's that it's that mentality that this is. This is different. This is thing something that people take very seriously. And so, the rubber gaskets and the lids, generally speaking, people clean them and they store them in a nice, you know, out of the way place. But like anything rubber, if you, you know, if you leave it on the countertop and the sun shines on it for a month before you take care of it, that's going to have a more deleterious effect than if you just clean it and put it into a cool and dry place out of the sun. So, so where do you sell your lids? Because I, I do see um, Tatler's on Amazon, but I didn't see yours on there, and I. I, I obviously you uh, sell them at canninglids.com. Uh, where else do you sell them? 
that is it. Uh, we are exclusively online, uh, direct to the consumer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at some point may branch beyond that, but quite honestly, just because of the demand and, you know, and, the, and what we've had to do to increase production um, to meet that demand, I'm just not prepared to go out and, and you know, delve into other markets. I mean, Amazon sure could, but, but quite honestly, in my mind, why give up that, you know, that extra margin when I can go directly to the consumer and the demand is just overwhelming. Now, as we start to increase production in different ways, I will certainly go down those paths. Mm-hmm. We, um, we've had a tremendous amount of interest, especially last year, from, you know, just from the, the retail marketplace. And, you know, there's a whole lot of uh, different steps that you have to take in order to do that mm-hmm. properly. And, but right now, you know, the, it's, I don't want to say I'm comfortable where I am because I never am. But I, I don't want to make myself more uncomfortable by, you know, offering it up in other markets that we then can't perform properly for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's a whole lot of testing has to be done before they uh, go into some some other distribution centers. But at Amazon, um, as you as you probably know, um, you know that data gets parsed out and used and invites competitors. Uh, at least that's that's what we've found is there's there's some good and bad um, with that model. Sure. A lot of people like that Amazon aspect because while they're shopping for 10 other things, they can throw that in their cart as well. I understand. Uh, mm-hmm. But like I said, there's at this point, I haven't felt the, the need to do it just because our um, our ability to service our customers is, is already taxed uh, just based on the demand. Yeah, that's that's fabulous. So we uh, we did create a marketplace, masonjars.com, uh, f- for that very reason is people love shopping on marketplaces, right? Because you can have a variety of products, and we invite independent makers like like you to sell on it. It's um, we did it somewhat out of response for for our because of our own selling on on Amazon and uh, other marketplaces that kind of misuse our data. So, so we created a marketplace around just really all about mason jars and accessories, and uh, from so that consumers can get it directly from the makers, the creators themselves. I mean, I am an entrepreneur at heart, and so people who are taking on that same mindset are people that I like to collaborate with. Yeah, yeah, I think it's important for everybody to pull together. Um, you know, for the for kind of the common good of the independent makers. Especially when, um, you know, our my heart's near and dear to USA Made, and so if we can do things to help promote each other's ability to produce here um, in the states, if it's if the products are going to be sold to U.S. consumers, then to, I my thought is it should be made in U.S. So um, I love supporting folks like you that that keep it local, you know. Certainly appreciate that, and that's you know that's part of my drive as well. Is I, I like to, like I said, I'm an entrepreneur, but I like to see people busy. I like to employ people. I like to, you know, I like to be able to give them a paycheck and help them with their lives. And this is this is a way of doing it, I'm, and it's it's fun. Uh, it, it can be exasperating at times when you start dealing with supply chain issues, etc. But mm-hmm. but I've been doing the. Uh, reusable canning lid thing for a long time and have, you know, quite honestly been around it my entire life in some form or other. And uh, it's, 
you know, I, I know this product, I know that it works, I know how to make it work and can generally convey to people, you know, the, the, the way to, the way, the way to use them and make them work properly. So mm-hmm. it's, it, it's a good thing. I, I, I certainly appreciate people like you that are out there helping, you know, the U S manufacturers and small businesses get a foothold and, yeah, that'd be great. And I want to share some of the uh, videos and do you, um, it sounds like you do some canning yourself. What are, what are some of your favorite things to can? <laughs> I love to can billy beans. <laughs> oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah, lots and lots and lots of billy beans. I mean, we've got just, I don't know, I probably do a couple bushels of, of beans a year, which doesn't sound like a lot, but when there's only a couple of people eating them, that's a lot of beans. <laughs> um, but, you know, just a, a range of things, you know, and we're, Doing it some out of out of necessity and some just out of the desire to do some testing and show people, you know, I, I mean, I will often set up the camera and do a video and I'm doing the same video that I've done 10 times, but we're doing it with a different product. It's, mm-hmm. it's you know, cold packed chicken or it's, you know, sort of taco meat or a, a lot of different products, um, not a lot of product every time, just a lot of different products. Mm-hmm. So I've got jars of all kinds of stuff in our house that... Some is from years and years and years ago, and some of it I've got from just uh, actually haven't done any canning this season yet. I need to get after that. But uh, last year we we put up a lot of a lot of billy beans and, and vegetables, not so much the meats, but um, yeah, we do we do it all. I mean, pressure mm-hmm. canning, water bath, a little bit of everything. Do you have a special recipe you like with your beans? Yeah, actually, it came from the National Center for Home Food Preservation. Um, their their book, uh, "So Easy to Preserve," is a, in my mind, it's one of the better um, canning books. And and I know that those those recipes have certainly been tested. Mm-hmm. One thing, the one thing that the National Center for Home Food Preservation does, they they test and validate the the process. Not necessarily the products, but the process. Mm-hmm. And and uh, it's a people ask that all the time. Hey, what do you? Where did you get that recipe? And I'm happy to share it with them. Uh, another one we we have done a lot of is just you know pie fillings. Holy cow! You know, got cherry trees next door here. I live in one of the one of the um, prominent peach um, growing communities in the country, and so lots of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we. Um, I actually live in a fruit producing area with um, peach trees and apples and so forth. Um, we're in. I'm in Erie, Pennsylvania, and it's it's along the lake, so it has this really cool microclimate for gra- for grapes and and fruit trees. And um, last year for the peaches, it was it was a nightmare actually trying to get them because as soon as the trees were ripe enough and they posted it on Facebook that hey it's time to pick they were wiped out within two hours it's the the amount of people <laughs> that are that are canning now is incredible yeah yeah I know last year was really a I call it a bumper crop for lack of a better word but uh, for canners but the interest the interest was huge and I, you know I think that's it kind of goes without saying when you walk into the grocery store and the shelves are empty, it gives you kind of a different perspective on life. Mm-hmm. And so that interest certainly went up. Um, and, you know, manufacturing supply chain issues just exacerbated the problem to where, you know, it makes sense to, to find a reusable product if you can. That way you know that, you know, in the future, if it's not available the way you're used to seeing it, you can still put up some food. 
Yeah, from a survival standpoint, it makes sense, right? And I, I know there's a lot of preppers that um, have been doing this for years, but I think it's also now just a lot of a, a lot of newbies that are just interested in um, making better food at home, and um, so it's it's really become so popular across the board, not just certain groups of people. Yeah, it's. It, I mean, it runs a gamut. You've got people who are foodies and, and they want this try something different. It's you know it's the people who have done this their whole lives, and that's how grandma did it. There's the preppers. There's the. It, it's just it. It's a very broad spectrum of people, and that's why I have always you know tried my best to to communicate across that spectrum. You have a different conversation with someone who's part of say the prepper community than you do with a with a millennial foodie who wants to, you know, try something different and do some stuff like grandma did. And, mm-hmm. um, it's, but you know, it's helping them understand it's the product is what the product is. Canning is what it is. It's, you know, and it's just a, it's just an educational thing in many cases, but, um, but you know, the interest is, like you said, the interest is big and it, and quite honestly, it always has been, you know, if you, if you look at the, the fall curve and golden harvest and the volume on an annual basis. And, and it's, it's a big, big, big market. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, I'm, I'm real excited for you. Um, it, you know, just really happy that, that you're getting the, uh, you know, recognition for your reusable lids. Um, do you, do you feel like you have enough production to meet demand at this time? Um, no, quite honestly, and because I'm struggling with some supply issues um, on the on the rubber gaskets, quite honestly, it's you know it just goes back to labor and supply issues all around the country. So mm. we're struggling with that and have quite honestly for several months, but we're we're starting to you know get over the hump again. Um, and I'm doing things in the background to you know to increase. Um, increased production all over the place. I mean, there's a very good possibility we'll either add another injection mold machine or, you know, bigger molds, things of that nature. It's it's all about timing, um, obviously, asset. But, uh, you know, we we can meet the customer demand currently. It's, I just don't want to step too far out into the water and find out that now we push this out in front of more and more people and the demand increases and then we because it, it just it gives you a very very bad look to the consumer if you present something to them and then you can't deliver on it mm-hmm. and unfortunately we mm-hmm. see that all over the place right now it's everywhere and it's not you know if it was just me and my reliance on my abilities and my my company's abilities that's one thing but you know when you're hamstrung all over the place that's a, that is a problem yeah, we're we're experiencing the same thing. We we ended up having to second source some things, which in the end isn't a bad thing, right? Um, that that's actually from a supply chain perspective something you should do anyway, I guess. Um, so yeah, we've had to get extremely creative, and um, one of a one of the problems then we have, of course, is a lot of people really rely on and and desire the ball jars, and uh, it's been so difficult to get um and there's they're expecting to uh have enough for the canning season but i don't i don't know they're they're not available yet so we'll see yeah I, like i said i pay pretty close attention to a lot of, uh, of canning groups uh, especially on facebook and 
the conversations are all over the place. And it, it, from what you just said is correct. It's they're not there yet. I mean, we're it's June, <laughs> so if they're if they're not there in June, um, in in any quantity, I really have concerns for the canning community that July and August are going to be much better. Yeah, I, I'm with you um, because it's this is canning season already in some some areas. Oh, sure. Not not the Northeast, but but elsewhere. And if if it's not available now, mm, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll yeah. see. Uh, the other thing that we we were um, up against is um, some knockoff uh, websites and knockoff products, not just for canning lids, but they they knocked off like my product and they you know, took our photos and our videos and misrepresented themselves as, as us. I had exactly the same situation happen last year. So there was a, a knockoff site called Canning Lid. Yeah. Not, not Canning Lids, we're plural. And they were, they were purporting to offer jars and lids and, you know, people would contact us and say, hey, I didn't get my jars. And so we don't sell jars, you know. You, and I mean, we, I had a woman contact me not long ago and said, well, I'm interested in your product, but I see a lot of bad reviews on, on uh, you know, Better Business Bureau. And, and we started going through the conversation a little bit more. I'm like, where, what, you know, what are you seeing? And we got all the way back to, that's a knockoff site that I think has actually been been taken down since then but yeah it's oh my gosh i like i said in those groups that i pay attention to you know there's there were products that were marketed as ball canning lids mm -hmm. looked the same and people would get them and they were just garbage from china that you know didn't either the plastisol on the bottom wasn't there or it was completely misshapen i mean so it's out there you know there's that buyer beware thing for sure yeah. You know, the one thing, like, like I said, try to stay ahead of it and try to, you know, promote to people that, you know, we're, we've been here. It's not like we just started up yesterday and been doing this. I have been doing this for a long, long time, like I said. Right. Yeah. And that's why we're doing, that's why we're doing this. Um, we're doing these podcasts and we're going to do a whole season of them. It, it's really to help the consumer awareness and, and we often then tell folks when you're on a website what to look for to, to see if it's legit. And um, so you felt the same pain we did is we, you know, we felt the aftermath of their problems. And it, and it does get frustrating that they can find us after they have a problem. <laughs> That's exactly correct. I, I always, I wondered that. I'm like, well, how do you get our phone number and our email address after you ordered from somebody else? Right, but, right. You know, I, and that's the point where you just have to say, look, I, I, I'm, I feel for you. I can't help you with that one. And, and we did actually, we went the route of you know, posting on our Facebook page, say, look, folks, you know, I'm not going to say good, bad or indifferent about, uh, about this canning site out there, but it's not ours. Right. We've heard that people have had problems don't have personal experience with it other than just the communication with consumers that have had issues, but that's not ours. And, you know, do your, do your, um, educate yourself. Yeah. And I'll, I'll make sure to include that information specifically on this to inform folks, because I know they will, uh, there will be some people going to the wrong site and being, being misled. And, um, yeah, we, we want to, we want to stop that. We even have one of the knockoff sites. I don't know if it was that one or if it's another one called 
something like official ball official or mason official ball official site or something like that yeah or official ball yeah 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 something like that and um they took so much of our information they they took our t's and c's where we actually have our attorney's name like if you if you have an issue or whatever you you contact the, the our attorney we actually have people contacting our attorney because these knockoff sites have have stolen all of our content. <laughs> yeah, I, so that happened uh, with us seven or eight years ago. When I when I did the business first time under SNS Innovations, it was yeah. knockoff came out, and I'm like, "Gotta be kidding me! You guys didn't even go to the effort of of retyping what <laughs> you know you stole off our website." Because I always I, there was one. Um, spelling error in our instructions and i'm like you guys kept the spelling (laughs) (laughs) no that's my work right there and that you know that's one of those things where i learned real quickly about um copyright learn about copyright you know you have to copyright yourself it's very hard i mean i've gone i've gone to google and elsewhere you know with the proof and um there's just not a lot being done it's it's difficult unless you have a Unless you are a big name, I suppose, because I, I did contact Ball, their IP attorney, and showed them a couple of sites that were clearly, clearly stealing and and misrepresenting themselves as Ball, and uh, they got them shut down within a couple of days. Yeah, well, if you got the, if you got a little bit of force and power and money behind you, you can make things happen. <laughs> it just becomes a little bit more problematic if you're a small business person and, and don't have you know high-powered attorneys on your staff. But, yeah. Time to do that. Yeah, I, I haven't been successful myself. <laughs> so it's a little tougher when you're small. Well, the, the fortunate thing for us is that, um, you know, several years ago when that happened, we did. We, we did get that content changed immediately. Um, and part of that, but honestly, was me going back directly to them and saying, you know, cease and desist or mm-hmm. you're going you know, to be faced with some attorneys knocking on the door. And, uh, it, was, it was quite an interesting development, to, to say the least. But, yeah, it's problem. It's a big problem in today's world, especially. Right, yeah. I think a, the, the best we can do is just engage with, with directly with our consumers through social and through our sites and um, just fighting the fight, I guess. Yep. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you spending the time with me, and um, I'm I'm excited to share your story and – and, and some specifics too. So yeah, really wish you the best. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. It's, uh, it's good to catch up. It's been many years since we talked last and didn't talk a lot then, but I appreciate the time and, and certainly the same to you. You know, I hope that what you're doing is, uh, is a success and, and I'll take a look at your site and see if we can't uh, work together a little bit more. Yeah, that would be great. I do have one final question. Uh, what is your favorite jar? Ah, wow. Well, it, Kind of depends quite honestly on what I'm doing, but if we're doing um, like most everything, quite honestly, we use the wide mouth. Um, and if it's you know if it's pie fillings, obviously I'm, I'm working with quarts. Um, we do you know you open up a quart of dill beans, and that's a lot of dilly beans in a you know in a setting. But um, yeah, I don't I don't tend to use very many of the um, regular quart size. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think probably one that we use the most and have the most of around here is probably the uh, wide mouth pints. Okay. Yeah, that that's a very popular, popular jar. 
And it's so interesting. When we first started, we didn't know, you know, how many people used regular versus wide, but it's about 50-50. And I would say wide mouth is even growing bigger. Yeah. So, you know, people ask that, what do I sell more of? I think it's about a 60-40 split on the regular uh, wide mouth. Ah. Um, Part of that is because regular reusable lids are less expensive, you know? Um, So, you know, there's some portion of the market out there that's just, you know, I call them water testers. You know, they're trying to test the water, see if this is something that they really want to invest in uh, more so in the future. And so you're going to have that lower price point item that sells a little bit more, but it's not significantly different. Right, right. Well, hey, great. Thank you. Thank you again. Really appreciate it. And um, I I know we'll be in touch and I, I do wish you the best. Super. Thank you. I thank you, and uh, I, I appreciate it. Anytime you want to ask me any questions, feel free. Um, and I'll I will do the same. And and you know, it's it's really it's about communicating, and educating the consumers because it's this canning is. I, I keep I keep using this term. It's a cult. Um, it, it, it's and it's not and not in a bad way. I mean, in a good way. It's people are they're putting a bunch of time and energy and and resources into their gardens and even if they're not gardening themselves they're going out and they're buying the best produce and they're putting the stuff in their jars and it's a long arduous process and the last thing you want is to have a bad product definitely (laughs) anything we can do to educate people on what is good and how to take those products they're not used to using and using properly i'm all about it so thank you for your effort and i appreciate the time all right take care all right bye